What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. How's it going, dude? It's going pretty well. There's just one problem. My back is killing me from the weight of all these decathlon tokens. Oh, ouch. I can't carry all these decathlon tokens. <laughs> yeah, man. Congrats. I saw you got uh, you got all 10. That's pretty sick. Thanks. Yeah, I got the clean sweep. I was trying to push for it because I figured that's going to qualify me for the next invitational weekend qualifier anyway. So if I focused on that, then I take a break from normal limited. And plus I get to play in the arena cube, at least three entries now. Right. So uh, I'm, I'm excited for that. I have my eyes set on that Jace avatar and I'm going to lord that over you for as long as we live. Yeah, well, you will because I didn't I haven't played the decathlon at all. So I have zero tokens and will not <laughs> be playing in the finals at all. Uh, well, you should you should try for the um, the turbo draft. It's a lot of fun. I, I like it as just a normal format. Well, this is episode number 80, and we are, of course, going through our sort of year in review, We're calling it the magic of 2021, and, you know, it's going to be fun. We're going to talk about what the year looked like in terms of magic and then also for the show. But before we get into all of that, of course, our usual housekeeping, if you're not already in it, check out the Discord. We do have a ton of channels over there, and we always have a ton of fun over there with the folks in the Discord, so check that out if you're not already in it. Link to that is in our episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And if you're interested in supporting the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draft pod. Huge, huge thanks to all of our patrons who continue to support us in our content creation each week. And for all of our new patrons this year, thank you. We really can't say that enough. Perks on the Patreon include things like our Draft Doctor series, stickers, our show notes, unedited recordings of the show with some pre and post show banter, and our Draft Chaff hero cards, which we'll sign and send to you for the month that you that you join. So once again, you can check that out at patreon.com forward slash draft pod. And I will say we kind of announced this month that we were going to be doing a bit of a fundraiser for direct relief. And the day we're recording this is December the 30th. The episode releases tomorrow. And well, that'll be the last day for the fundraiser. So at the time of recording this, it looks like we're currently at $231.25 to be donated to direct relief. Thanks to all of you listening. So yeah, pat yourselves in the back. We're going to be sending that over. And then of course, whatever we get for for the first day that this episode is live, um, we'll be added to that as well. So thank you all for helping us kind of quote unquote, raise the money for that. Um, It was a fun little thing for us to do and we'll post some stuff to show you guys the official final number. But as of the time of recording, that's where we're at. All right, on to our crack draft type thing. And this isn't really one of those this week. Ben's taking some liberties. What you got? So look, we, we were just talking about how we like to do whatever we want. We, we're in control of this, this uh, runaway train here. And for the crack draft type thing this week, I wanted to talk about a little bit of a, a mix up, kind of a pick order or uh, just some notes really on a format that I am enjoying far more than I thought I would. Turbo Draft Strixhaven which is currently the uh, the ninth decathlon token. And hopefully they bring it back for other stuff. It's kind of sad that it's only going to be up for a few days. But I mean, I, I, th- I thought we had a good opportunity here where we could jump in, chime in on it a little bit. That way the listener gets to uh, maybe take some of these things into account. Because the difference between people that, you know, have played the format a few times and were doing their first draft was so obvious to see. So for those that don't know, decathlon token number nine is earned by playing in the Strixhaven Turbo Draft. Turbo Draft is a variation of normal draft. It's quick draft, and you do the normal whole strict saving quick draft thing. And then when you get into gameplay, you each get an emblem that says spells you cast cost five generic mana less to cast. So that means if you had a spell that cost six generic mana, it would only cost one generic mana. If you had a spell that cost two black green, uh, it would just cost black green. So it just makes everything really cheap. It makes big stuff easier to cast. And it's a little different than Omniscience, where you were able to just free cast anything you want. We've seen Omniscience draft for like some of the core sets in the past. But this one, you actually have to take colors into account. And you have to maybe plan out your curve a little smarter. So uh, a really interesting and bizarre draft environment. So I wanted to shout out some notes that I, I found. I got my trophy earlier this morning. But in that, I think I had two runs on this and i played a whole bunch of games through the both of those runs i have to shout out the best card in this format is letter of acceptance 
Uh, now, those that, that are familiar with the Moxin, those are like Mox Ruby, Mox Diamond, Mox Emerald. These are zero mana artifacts uh, that tap for a color of mana. And they're, you know, some of the best cards ever printed. You, you cry with joy if you open one in Vintage Cube, right? So thing is, they actually have those at common in this set. Uh, it's called Letter of Acceptance. That's three mana. It taps for one mana of any color. And it has pay two, tap it, sacrifice it, draw a card. So if you have a three drop generic cost and it costs five less to cast, how much does that cost? Negative two. You just net two mana in your pool when you cast it. <laughs> Something like that. It feels like it. It actually just costs zero. So I, I've, uh, I've seen opponents that play their first land and then play two of these and then play uh, like a bunch of massive spells or they start drawing cards and going off. I had an opponent that kind of went off by casting a one mana draw two spell and then they played a biblioplex assistant to put that card back on top and then they cast a draw one and then they drew another one and then they played two more letters of acceptance and I was sitting there with nothing in play like I just can't win this game. I'm so far behind. I was planning on playing a landed passing like the game is just over. So letter of acceptance by far the best card in this format. Uh, take every single one you see. It's unpassable. Take it over planeswalkers. Take it over bombs. I, I, it's, it's like playing with a mox, you know. <laughs> that's just how it is some other uh miscellaneous notes i guess that's my, my crack draft pick of the week the letter of acceptance but cogwork archivist is the staple creature in the format it costs six generic mana it's the four five with reach and some stupid activated ability that you never use but it's really just in this format a one generic mana four five with reach which is pretty good <laughs> especially because one of the other best cards in this format is elemental masterpiece that was the five blue red make two four four tokens uh, the elementals so that just costs blue red now which is pretty nice two mana for two four fours Biblioplex Assistant is great because, I mean, we're talking about all these big spells. It lets you put one back on the top of your deck. Then with card draw, you can get that, like right back into it. Maybe cast it again in the same turn. Eureka Moment, worth noting. Just great card draw. Putting extra lands into play is nice. Field Trip I found to be pretty powerful too, letting you ramp and getting a, a lesson. Notable uh, Fractal Summoning, you get spotted five extra mana on that. So you'll never cast a Fractal for X under five if that makes sense. And last but not least, you can main deck lessons. So you can main deck environmental sciences, and then you're functionally starting with a 39 card deck. And then that starts messing with the number of lands that you're going to play. You can main deck introduction of prophecy, and it kind of does the same thing, except then it's the opposite of what environmental sciences would do because it just draws a random card instead of a land. It's, it's a really complicated but cool format, and I highly recommend everyone try it. Even if you're not going for the decathlon, I'd, I might actually just play some more later. <laughs> You know, maybe gatekeep the uh, the tokens a little, try to knock some other people off their runs. <laughs> so I, I imagine Introduction to Annihilation is just as good as we were also anticipating in that format. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it turns out a zero mana <laughs> just destroys something. I will say drawing your opponent a card is real, though. Uh, That's because, fair. Uh, the, the good cards in this format are very good. All right. Well, with that, on to our Teferi Tibble. This is our Roses and Thorns style segment where Ben and I share a high and a low from the past week. Ben. What's going on? How's it been? It's been. Uh, <laughs> there's a new year about to start, apparently. I, I barely noticed, to be honest. Let's see. I've, I've been on holiday break this week, so I kind of lost track of every time and date there is. The, everything is blurred together, which is a nice break from the usual school week grind, <laughs> I guess we'll say. That, that I'm going to lump everything, in, and I just said it, as my Teferi. I also went to the zoo this week, which is a pretty cool thing to do. You know, the, the Cape May County Zoo? Mm -hmm. Yeah, great place. They had a bunch of leftover Christmas trees put out for the animals to like throw around and eat. So that was that's pretty cool. Pretty entertaining. I don't think I've ever been there uh, in the winter. It's usually like a spring summer activity for me growing up. Yeah, there's not quite as much going on. A lot of the animals are inside and just kind of more sluggish as, you know, humans aren't that different <laughs> in that regard. But uh, it's still worth going. And as for my Tybalt this week, basically everything fun that I had planned out for the next, for the previous week and like the next two weeks, a lot of that got canceled uh, just because of COVID and the usual. Apparently, I don't know who saw this, but the one of the major airline directors asked the United States Center for Disease Control to lessen the COVID restrictions, and they did, because <laughs> they were like, "Hey, this this could impact the number of workers that we have coming in. Can you make it so that people only have to quarantine for five days instead of ten? And the CDC was like, "You know what? Yes, <laughs> yeah, dude. Even a step further. My sister works in healthcare, 
and she, like she's yeah. in a hospital, like she works in a hospital right now. And she said that it's it's now five days unless you're a healthcare worker and your employer is strapped for like needs employees to work. Then it's three no days. Way. No way. That's <laughs> man. They're what? they're just forget subtlety. Forget reading in between the lines. They're just telling us at this point. Like money is uh, is worth more than us in some cases in here in the United States and other places too. Which never a fun thing to to come to terms with. It's like a weird catch-22 with the healthcare space, though. It's like you need healthcare workers there to help the people who have the disease or, yeah. like, you know, virus or whatever and anything else that they might be in the hospital for. But then you don't want them there if they're sick because then they're going to, you know, it's like a weird, weird uh-huh. catch-22 thing. But, you know, one of the benefits, so at least, or or maybe not benefits, but one of the upsides, I suppose, this time around is that it seems this newest uh, variant is a lot more lenient, I guess, in terms of like how mm. it's destructive power. It's more more. I mean, people are still there are still people getting hospitalized by it. But overall, it seems that it's a lot closer to like the flu or a cold than past variants have been. Uh, it's just inc- extremely contagious. Yeah, I am eagerly awaiting a potential email from my school saying that we'll be virtual for a week or two when we get back from holiday because I don't know. It, better to just call it now than have everyone get sick and have it happen by force later, right? Just, you know, I'd rather have people take the take the charge of it and just say, hey, let's have less people get sick overall <laughs> in the long run, right? It's, it's uh, kind of embarrassing that our country is kind of resigned at this point to just let everyone get sick and, you know, get over it, get back to work, you know, let the machine grind on. <laughs> Yeah, it really is going to settle in kind of like the flu, I think, in terms of like an annual thing that just keeps cropping up and we're just going to learn to deal with. And that kind of segues into my Tybalt. I just read on New York Times this afternoon that we have passed a million daily global COVID cases. So, yay. <laughs> Absolutely insane. A million a day. That's wild. Um, yeah. My Teferi, though, is that uh, vacation is here for me. Uh, normally, people take this past week off. Because it's like right after Christmas and, you know, it's a good time to get to get some vacation time in. Um, instead, this year, I took the first week and a half of January off. So starting tomorrow, being that it's an observed holiday for New Year's, I'm off for the next week and a half, which is super awesome. I really need it. <laughs> Very dope. What are you going to do? Sit around? No, no, I'm actually going to do um, hopefully a lot of content planning for various different channels. My Twitter, my YouTube, the show here. I have a few different software projects that I'm working on, and so I'll try to make some progress on those and really just kickstart my habit building for 2022 here. So yeah, hopefully I'm actually very productive with the time. I just definitely need the time to not be working. <laughs> Is it 2022 already? <laughs> no, we've got two days, two days. Oh, good. <laughs> I have some things to get done still. <laughs> Um, all right, so this week we actually don't have a listener question. I think this is the first week of the show's history that we don't have a listener question, except maybe like the very beginning of the show when we didn't have listeners. <laughs> <laughs> okay, to be fair, we also just, you know, we drained we everyone's just... listener questions, but, uh, you know, everyone out there listening, just hop in the listener question channel, help us restock up for the new year. We like having a nice backlog in there, so uh, I don't know. <laughs> toss us some some good stuff all right so with that on to our main topic as i said we're going to do sort of a review of magic and the show in 2021 so we're going to look back at all the different things we got to experience with magic and we'll start off here with the main set releases so first set of 2021 was kaldheim and kaldheim was an interesting one from a limited perspective we it was it was generally pretty enjoyable but it was pretty overrun by the snow menace and the decks that could literally just take any card they wanted and play them without any question at all and mm. that wasn't so fun but the best deck in the format black white double spell was just absolutely <laughs> amazing and one of my favorites let's uh let's call up circuits and double check those numbers real quick <laughs> i think you might be misremembering <laughs> Yeah, the snow menace and then the white-based aggro decks that fought against it. It was a nice little paradigm. Was it, you know, color balanced? No, but uh, there have been murmurings in the the magic space recently that it tends to be more fun to play a fun format that's unbalanced than a very balanced format that's not exciting or interesting or keeps you wanting to play. And I don't know, that was a really unbalanced format, but when you got a good snow deck, like... Oh, man, it, it, it was quite the experience. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you say that because it, it, that's true. I, I would think that, you know, typically if the 
majority of people are enjoying a format it doesn't matter if it's balanced or not if it's fun it's fun yeah. and that's all that really matters i you know from a competitive perspective i guess there's more to it than that but generally speaking if it's fun it's fun and I think we're going to see this as we get through the rest of these set releases. Like this was kind of the year of unbalanced limited formats. We, we've got a lot of them yeah. this year and most of them were pretty fun. But overall, I'd say this is probably the worst year for limited in a little while. Like mm. I think the last few years have been quite a bit better than than this year. And we did have some really awesome formats, but uh, most of them weren't that amazing. Yeah, I think there were a lot of flawed sets this year. I don't yeah. necessarily think there were a lot of bad sets this year i think there were a lot of flawed but fun sets you know that's fair uh kaldheim i would say i am lower on than some of them just because i got really sick of the whole snow drafting experience i did do it a lot and i had a lot of fun doing it but even when it came back for flashback draft i was like uh, i think i'm gonna pass i don't really feel like getting dunked on by <laughs> a million comas and all that nonsense a very fun format when you have the tools you need but you know I think I tend to find more fun in balance than some people to the point where Kaldheim is lower on my ranking list. Yeah, there's something to be said about that too, right? I think there's a fine line to ride where, for me at least, a fun set is one where the weakest decks or the ones that like just get scraped together are still able to win games no matter what else is in the format. And we've seen a lot of formats this year where and Kaldheim was one of them, the best decks of pretty much any archetype were really good. I mean, if you got a really solid Giants deck, it didn't matter that your opponent had all the snow lands in the world. You could yeah. you could still win games. But it was really hard to put a lot of those decks together, and you needed a handful of linchpin pieces, and if you never found those, those decks just kind of didn't do anything. And the snow decks were just capable of taking all of those linchpin pieces from you because they didn't care, and they could play anything they wanted. So that was a little bit annoying. One saving grace for me with Kaldheim was that my favorite deck in the format in black-white was one that most people didn't actually realize was good or didn't care to try or didn't want to play. So I was able to put good black-white decks together pretty often, even though, again, Sirkovitz would probably argue that the, the numbers there don't agree with my experience with the deck, but that's okay. I will say this really was the year of black-green limited archetypes just getting absolutely ruined. Just no love at all. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, we didn't have one in Kaldheim. It even started the year before, right, with the... Um, with Zendikar and yep. kind of continued through into this year and basically all of this year, Black Green didn't have any real solid archetypes. It's been a bad several, I mean, it's been a bad last couple of years for mid-range lovers, especially in Limited. I think that we're really looking for a good Black Green Limited archetype sometime soon, or I don't know. It's It, it used to be my absolute favorite. Like I, I would force Black Green back when, you know, the Snack deck, that, that, was, that was a Black Green Limited archetype, Black Green Counters. That was worth going for. But I mean, let's, let's talk about our next one where that was a bit of a disappointment too, Strixhaven, right? Where we had once again, kind of the big top end uh, in the teamer colors, uh, whether you're playing big blue red spells or trying to pop off with a bunch of counters on on smaller creatures quandrix pledge mage that that whole thing the apprentice and and all all the the good stuff in those colors or if you're on the other side trying to go small once again with black white trying to get in uh, really fast white red just utterly missed in that set which is kind of sad there were a lot of cool ideas being tossed around this graveyard excavation theme exiling stuff from the graveyards making three twos it, it just didn't really it, it worked sometimes but not consistently enough that you felt like it was worth going for and black green could be good if you really got all the payoffs but I played a few good Dina decks here and there. Overall, it just kind of felt like it was outclassed by the more powerful card draw and Eureka moment and uh, the top end elemental masterpieces of, of the teamer decks. Yeah, in my experience, unless you could really, really reliably get that sort of drain thing going with Dina and the, I think it was the Witherbloom Apprentice yeah, and, you know, some of those that could, you, or multiple copies of all of those, and you could really get the drain thing going with a bunch of pests, you really weren't doing anything. And even then, a lot of times it still felt like you were just dawdling around while your opponent's like, okay, elemental masterpiece, elemental masterpiece, kill two of your yeah. things, swing with a bunch of random tokens, and then you're just like, okay, I guess I'll block with my 1-1s until you kill all my 1-1s and then I'm dead. Mm -hmm. That was that was kind of the Witherbloom experience, unless you happen to have Belladros Witherbloom, and then, you know, you probably would win, but even still, I lost a handful of games where I did have Belladros and it just wasn't enough. I was really disappointed about Lorehold 
I was really looking yeah. forward to having this cool like change to the white red and we're still we've been seeing this for probably the last two years or three years where they're still trying to figure out what white does in magic and <laughs> I think this has been a yeah. better year for that we've seen a lot of cool little changes white cards can draw cards now that's pretty cool you know mm. we've seen a handful of little changes like this and I thought this was going to be like the cool new approach to Boros where they have some utility that's not just play a bunch of dorky creatures smack face and that's it unfortunately the decks kind of played out that way they all basically just turned into play a bunch of dorky creatures hit face and occasionally you'll get some graveyard recursion in there and i did like the way they handled the graveyard recursion because it felt different than most like black green style recursion that you see with graveyards maybe that was just a flavor thing but functionally they felt a little different even though you're using the same zones but yeah it was really difficult to put decks together that actually wanted to be doing graveyard stuff instead of just attacking your opponent all the time Mm -hmm. and and it really just felt like your traditional boros style deck which i was quite disappointed about from a flavor aspect i liked this one though it was kind of a nice mix up Uh, the whole wizard school thing i was impressed that it wasn't just literally harry potter and it was something a little more i don't know kind (laughs) It, it was it was a nice break from the whole brutality this plane is getting attacked this plane is getting attacked. Eldrazi here, Scions here, all, all the sorts of nonsense. This was just kind of like uh, some small town drama. <laughs> it was a nice change of pace. Yeah, that's true, especially after call time where we're like, oh crap, Vorinclex is back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you're just like, oh, by the way, here's a school that's, I mean, they, were, they still got attacked. Uh, you know, I guess yeah. it's a little bit different. Demons or whatever, uh-huh. demon avatar things. Yeah, and it was cool to see like kind of what Lily was up to. Now that she's not really doing her thing with with demons as well or or working with uh, the Gatewatch or whatever. Kind of cool to see that. Will and Rowan mm-hmm. were interesting kind of as the main characters for this one. So that was it was cool to see like a little bit of a different perspective that way, too. I, I like the approach to story now where it's not focused on the Gatewatch or like any real specific characters. Like every plane seems to have yeah. You got a couple of cast members that are you know, common between storylines and whatever, but it's nice to see that, you know, we're getting looks into different planes that it's like, yeah, it's not just the same core group of people that are, that we're following around. I'm feeling the buildup from this year, right? Like it feels like next year is going to be where we see something emerge, whether it's the Phyrexians again, or if we see a Bolus reemergence. I know we're going to be going back in time a little bit, it sounds like, to the Brothers War, which I'm more interested in getting some uh, information about, given that 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 era of magic lore is a little before my time. Yeah, I, I expect we'll you know we'll be getting new Urza. We'll be getting a new whatever Urza's brother is. Can't Mishra, right? Mishra, yes, thank you. Yeah, so we'll be getting some cool new stuff. Maybe we'll get a Mishra's factory reprint or you know stuff like that. I mean, I'm curious to see what it's going to look like, and it's going to probably be very artifact heavy set. So that'll be fun as well. I, I tend to like those. Um, <laughs> uh, but that said, I'm trying to think, I, I guess. You know, in terms of archetypes that I actually liked from Strixhaven, Prismari was pretty fun. It did the thing, you know, me with the red, red, blue spell slingers kind of deck. And they, they felt a little yeah. bit different in that you could actually play some really big spells most of the time, unless you're playing commander or something in limited formats. Blue red is, is a lot of like churn through your deck, play a bunch of spells for value kind of thing. And then, you know, you end up pinging your opponent out with like a thermo alchemist or something. But yeah. uh, you got to slam some really big spells with this one. And, and that was cool. And then, of course, Quandrix kind of got to do the usual blue green thing. I feel like blue green is now the one in the space where it's like, all right, this needs to find an identity because all it does is like ramp and maybe put counters on stuff, play a bunch of stupid big creatures. Maybe that's yeah. its identity, but it feels boring. Yeah, it, it's also just like the best place to be. You know, if you're telling me this thing's identity is attacking and this thing's identity is ramping, drawing cards and playing bigger creatures That's than true. your opponent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this one, it, it's an especially bad time to be claiming that your identity is gaining life, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> so I'm glad we've seen a departure from that. All right, on to our next set of the of the year, which was Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. And this set kind of took the place of our core set for the year. And I was really thrilled that we were going to the Forgotten Realms because of D&D and all that kind of stuff. I've not really played too much D&D set in the Forgotten Realms, but I am a big D&D fan and uh, was very curious to see how they handled some of these certain, you know, characters and artifacts and things like that that are typical from the Forgotten Realms sort of lore. Most of them, they hit the nail on the head. There were a few... Uh, kind of issues that I think some people had issues with, some people didn't, and we we discussed it uh, back and forth in the Discord, which was a lot of fun while the set was being spoiled. In terms of limited as a format, what did you think? 
Probably the worst of the year, you know? I think this was the worst play experience, the worst draft experience. Admittedly, adventures and venturing into the dungeon, that must have been a real challenge to design game-wise, right? The fact that we all always went into the middle one is something that probably didn't come out of testing. There was like the the hard one that was painful to get your 4-4, and there was the really long one that took ages to do where you just got to free cast stuff and scry a bunch. But really, the fact that the format was so anemic in some ways, with the creatures being undersized and feeling like a core set without really being called a core set, it turned out that just churning through to draw a card as fast as possible was just the best thing you could do. So then when your opponent drops something like a giant dragon, like an Imrith, you just, uh, it felt kind of embarrassing that, that you're playing a bunch of three mana tutus and hoping to win the game when they have this dragon in play. And I guess that was what they're going for with the whole dragons thing, right? They did achieve powerful dragons, but uh, we also saw the, the prominence of black red being the the admittedly pretty cool archetype of treasures, but Kalein being just the most egregious turn two play and then just feeling like if your opponent slams that turn two Kalein, you're just like, okay, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting because I'm starting to see a pattern that I didn't quite notice until we are looking back at all these sets and then looking ahead to the next couple that we're going to talk about, I'm seeing it as well, but it really feels like, you know, call, like it feels like every format this year was defined by a single archetype. Like, Kaldheim mm. had the snow decks, and like, if you weren't doing snow, you probably should have been. There were a few instances where that wasn't the case, but you basically should have been forcing snow most of the time. Strixhaven mm. didn't really have that, but you could argue that the Prismari teamer kind of decks were, were what you should have been forcing, or at least close to that, and those were pretty dominant in that format as well. And in Adventures, it really was black-red treasures. You know, once the bot drafts came up, it's like, if you weren't playing black-red, you were not doing it right. Like, you just <laughs> should have been playing black-red, forcing that every time. And most people did, in terms of bot drafts. Outside of that, the format didn't have a ton of, I don't know, I feel like most of the archetypes, and maybe it's because I'm not really remembering them too well, which might be endemic to the problem. It was hard to look at this as a core set and think about it through that lens because it has this whole very cool Dungeons and Dragons kind of skin over it. So I think a lot of us mm -hmm. were expecting a different level of power out of this format than we were really yeah. ever going to get because it was replacing a core set. So yeah, it's a little bit unfortunate that it was dominated by that one by that one archetype. But again, this kind of has been the year of one archetype formats. Recently, we've definitely been spoiled by mechanics that improve the feel of limited. So going back a little further, we had DFCs starting out in cycling. This year we had, uh, I guess in Kaldheim Fortel kind of helped with that, letting you use your mana in a colorless way, maybe helps uh, avoiding problems from screw. Strixhaven, there was a few floating around in there. Uh, the fact that it was a five archetype format made it a little weirder, but for example, Prismari could discard some of their big spells early on. Uh, and you had lessons. To help and lessons, and lessons, right? To make sure you had a way to use your mana in the late game. Just jumping ahead a little bit, we have Blood just now in Crimson Vow, which is an amazing limited mechanic that helps make sure you have gas in the late game. Adventures didn't have this, and I think dungeons were supposed to be this. Correct. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. Yeah, it, it didn't get there. It's I mean, dungeons just weren't drawing cards. The incremental advantages that you got, like gaining one life to maybe trigger some micro synergies or making a thing get minus four, minus O, or making something not be able to attack for a turn. All these little tiny bonuses just weren't worth cards. And because the format didn't have one of these other mechanics to kind of keep you going, it just wasn't as fun to play. When you top deck your third land in a row in the late game and you just have nothing to do, it feels really bad. Now, if you had a few blood tokens laying around, that changes. Or if you had a top deck like a lesson learned card and then you had something to do that turn after all, or maybe you were waiting to be able to cycle it away or something, that's really different. This just wasn't as enjoyable a play experience. I, I wasn't also, I didn't have the same kind of background with D&D that made me super hyped for the format in the first place. I liked all the lore stuff that I learned. I liked all the cool little tidbits here and there. Flump is just funny conceptually, and uh, the Tarask caused some very funny Twitter debates and, and such. I, I liked all that, and it, it certainly had its moments, but overall, this was, I think, pretty solidly the worst of the year. Yeah, so so far, before we move into the Innistrad sets for the year, ranking-wise, it's 
pretty much in order of release, right? Kaldheim was better than Strixhaven was better than Adventures? Or do you do you swap Kaldheim and Strixhaven? They're pretty close. I probably put Strixhaven a little above personally. Kaldheim is probably a better format objectively, but I think I personally enjoyed Strixhaven a little more. All right. Well, let's see how that shakes out with the rest of the sets for the year. Next up, we've got Innistrad Midnight Hunt. So this is our first of the two Innistrads. Now, I guess originally, were we only supposed to have four major set releases and we just kind of got this bonus one in Innistrad? Well, so every year they do four major main set releases, meaning standard sets. This year, for some reason, they decided to do two Innistrad sets. And at first, it sounded like they were going to split them. So it'd be like two half sets. So you'd end up with one full set worth of cards. They just didn't do that. They just released two full sets. <laughs> so yeah, we just got an extra set this year. It's kind of funny that like they're out. We've been playing them. We know them all very well. And we still don't know exactly what happened <laughs> with that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, right. and it was weird too because this was Midnight Hunt had a lot of problems. It was a fun, it was a fun format, but it had a lot yeah. of problems. Some of which didn't even actually come into how the format played out. One of those problems is that we only had about a month and a half to two months to play it. Maybe a month and a half yeah. before spoilers really started, and then you're just like, wait, we just got this new set. People are just starting to learn what's good and what's not. Although, admittedly, in Midnight Hunt, that shook out in like the first week, and then everybody was playing Black Blue for the rest of the format. <laughs> But yet again, yeah. another format where you have one deck that basically dominated. And Midnight Hunt, I think, was the worst offender here. Like, blue-black mm. was just leagues ahead of everything else in the format. And, of course, it was the werewolf set where werewolves weren't playable. So that was also laughable. <laughs> and it led to a lot of questions of, like, how much playtesting is actually being done these days for mm. limited formats? Because, you know, it's a lot of turnaround time... Or, not so much turnaround time. They they put sets out constantly and maybe they're not getting tested as much as they should be. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say at this point. And Crimson Val was much better, I think, in almost every aspect than Midnight Hunt was. But what were your thoughts on Midnight Hunt as a format? Well, I'm not exactly a blue-black aficionado, so I <laughs> think to say Organ Hoarder is a an amazing card, not my kind of card. I was much more interested in the white-based aggro decks that kind of cropped up to fight back against the blue-black menace, particularly green-white and red-white. I, I went pretty deep on figuring out how the white cards could be best leveraged uh, as card advantage, and there's an article floating around on, on Card Sphere if anyone wants to check that out. So... I, I personally had a lot of fun in this set. I love Innistrad and the flavor of it. And the fact that they took some unique approaches to giving white card advantage through Disturb or through just actually drawing cards. Search Party Captain, Chef Kiss, you know, what a great card. That helped my enjoyment of the format a lot. It's honestly hard to say, like, because there was a point where two months into Kaldheim, I was like, you know what? I think I'm good. <laughs> uh, we just never got to hit the two month point with, with Midnight Hunt. Maybe there would have been that time when I said, you know what? I'm good. Uh, I'm done with this. Let's let's try something else. Fire up the Vintage Cube or the Arena Cube or something. I, I had fun with the, the about a month and a half or so, like you said, that we got to actually play with it. Yeah, so, I mean, for me, it was kind of the opposite experience. I played Midnight Hunt for about a week, and then I was like, I'm off this. Like, I, I'm yeah. getting the exact same matches every single game. Everybody's playing Organ Hoarders on four, sometimes earlier. Everybody's doing the the blue black thing, and I really like. I remember when we did our farewell, our format farewell for Midnight Hunt. I was just like, I hardly played this. I think I had less than ten drafts of the whole format. I was just off it, very very quickly. Mm -hmm. Part of that was yeah. some stuff that came up, like you know, personally, but a lot of it was just like I didn't feel like playing. <laughs> it just wasn't that fun to me. Now Crimson Val, on the other hand, different story. I mean, mm -hmm. we, we expected the blood thing. We weren't sure exactly how to evaluate blood at first. But again, this also was kind of the year of how else can we get stuff in our hand, basically? Or how can we yeah. expand the hand yeah. size without actually expanding hand size? And part of that was giving extra cards the phrase draw card. Part of that was these extra mechanics. But pretty much every set this format, or pretty much every set this year, had some form of, here's extra cards. And for Crimson Vow, it was blood. And again, we, we weren't really sure how to evaluate it at first, but it turns out it's really good. And hmm. we had another black-red archetype here, but it felt different. It played differently than the one in Adventures did, and I loved it. Black-red Vampires was a huge hit to me. I love that, that deck. Anya, chef's kiss. Absolutely <laughs> love playing with Anya. And yeah, pretty much any of the blood stuff. I mean, a lot, even the commons in that deck were really, really fun. Yeah, uh, I really found the set enjoyable. I, I was glad that werewolves got an actual playable archetype in limited, which hasn't happened in, in quite a while. Uh, certainly not in Midnight Hunt. I'm pretty excited to try out the double feature thing. 
it sounds like getting those boxes is going to be tough, but I think I might want to pick one up just just because these two sets feel like they're going to pair very well with each other. Yeah, yeah. It definitely seems like they were designed in tandem, which, you know, based on their naming conventions and, and release times, I would expect probably was true. Curious why they didn't do the double feature thing in the first place. Maybe that was a standard thing. They wanted some time to have just Midnight Hunt versus both in standard, but I don't know. I mean, it, it seems like it'll be a lot of fun, and I think there are certain things that play well with each other. The different way that, that Disturb works in the two different sets, because it's the same mechanic, but in one set you're getting creatures that turn into spirits. In the other set you're getting spirits that turn into enchantments. Kind of cool to see how those two will play out in the same set. And then, of course, werewolves bolstering werewolves. We'll see. Uh, and it it does sound... I was a little disappointed with the double feature thing because it sounds like they actually just smashed both sets together instead of hand-picking cards from each set. <laughs> yeah, so a little weird. That's a little bit strange, but... Yeah, we'll see how it goes. I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt and say it was designed to be smashed together, which maybe that's putting a little too much faith in in the Wizards playtesters. But I'm also excited to see how Exploit works. Exploit was actually a set that got... uh, Exploit was the mechanic in Crimson Vow that got a little bit stiffed, right? It it just never feels like it really comes together properly. I have a feeling that Blue-Black might average out to be a like a solid archetype overall, busted in Midnight Hunt, near unplayable in Crimson Vow. It should average out to be pretty okay, right? Yeah, well, the difference in the double feature is that you're going to have... Well, one of the things that I think the exploit decks needed in this format was Decayed Tokens, which they didn't have. Yeah. So when yeah. you actually have access to those, the exploit creatures are just going to be crazy good. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I'm also pretty excited to see how Green-White and and uh, the the counters archetype, plus how the werewolves, maybe they're, they're going to bolster some of the werewolves from Midnight Hunt that just needed the extra support. Uh, who knows? All right, well, I think that does it for our main set releases. Overall, a pretty medium year, I would say, in terms of main set releases. Nothing super exceptional, but definitely had fun times with every single format, so not a miss by any means. Yeah. I don't know if any of these are necessarily all-timers. I think if anything got close, it was probably Kaldheim, just because of I don't know, how legendary it felt. You were playing five-color snow as the dominant archetype. That is objectively pretty cool. But I don't know. I'm looking forward to bigger and better things. Right, so we also had a handful of other releases, so we're going to cover those. Some of them less... Actually, a lot of them less limited related, but they happened this year, so we may as well cover them. One of those was Arena on Mobile. Came later than expected, but that's kind of the mantra with arena related things i haven't played too much of arena on mobile myself the the biggest reason being that you can't like you you can't really like build your deck while you're drafting they have like a limitation on on how you can like sort through your cards on on mobile and i i like to be able to do that so um haven't really touched arena on mobile that much but i mean from what i understand the client's pretty good yeah if what you mean is that you can't see the whole deck in like mana value order you can do that now actually oh they added it okay well then you know that's good yeah uh i've been finding it pretty okay i have a very old phone that overheats and sometimes crashes arena on mobile but when i eventually upgrade i think i'll enjoy it more i found it pretty solid as as far as making everything work i've been pleasantly surprised cool um we did get a weird announcement with with mobile basically right before arena mobile came out they made changes to how many creatures can be on board which is not something mm. Magic has ever had a limitation on before. So that was something that a lot of people got upset over for nothing, really. I, I don't really see a reason to get upset over that because the number they set it to is like, you're winning the game if you hit that anyway. The next thing we saw was uh, kind of a mashup. We saw Historic Anthologies, which added a ton of cards to Historic, also added the notion of digital-only cards. So that was something that, you know, whether you're into or not is is now a part of Magic in some capacity. And then we also got the Historic Horizons Jumpstart packages, which was cool as well. They, again, continued to add cards to uh, to Historic. And actually, I think that was the one that, that added digital-only cards. They actually had had the digital-only cards for a little bit longer, too. Some of these weird, like, starter cards that were That's technically, true. like, standard legal. I think, like, Shock was legal in standard for a little bit, but it wasn't actually in any of the official sets. It was something right. weird like that. That I don't did happen. Know. And then there was um there was a human, a white human that was actually quite good in, in some human decks in historic that was like an arena card, but was never actually printed in a standard set in like a long time. Yeah. Uh this is where it started getting weird, <laughs> right? Like uh I liked Jumpstart conceptually. This Kind of alternate limited environment where you could get some cool play experiences. Uh, I didn't like the steep cost of entry, but you know that's 
that's kind of the theme of the the whole year for arena hashtag just arena things this is where we started seeing some more curation to historic which i think is a double-edged sword we've gotten some really cool stuff in historic uh, i've been having a lot of play uh, fun playing it myself but this is where they started tampering a little bit and uh, inserting things that maybe might have been better off left uninserted. Yeah, and then that kind of brings us to our next uh, our next release, actually, in, in Alchemy and the various digital rebalances that, that it seems they are going forward being comfortable making. Alchemy, if you haven't heard, is a new kind of tangential format to standard where they're making digital fixes. It's a digital-only format, and they're making fixes to cards that were otherwise banned or limited in some way, shape, or form in standard they're making adjustments to and moving them all over to this new format called alchemy now at first i was really into this i was like cool we have a fixed standard that you can actually like they can make adjustments to cards on the fly we don't have to ban anything anymore really cool but then for some reason they made all those changes leak over to historic and now a bunch of historic (laughs) decks are just unplayable and that just doesn't make any sense to me like why would you do that yeah i think i started the opposite i started much lower on this announcement and then i've gradually been getting more into the idea of it i i really still don't like the the idea that they just killed Luminarch Aspirant. Like, come on. One of my favorite cards in Standard, one of the uh, core four ofs in Historic Humans, is now basically just unplayably bad there. The whole joke was that you put the counter on your one drop on your combat step, and then you can attack into their one drop. That was the whole reason you did it. But whatever. I I actually have been pretty impressed by some of the digital-only designs that they made. Sigardian Evangel is really good. It's the the one of the white for a 3-1. When it enters the battlefield, you make a copy of it in your hand uh, and then tap a permanent your opponent controls and then you discard the copy at the end of your turn. So if you top deck it on like turn six, you play one and then play one and then play another one and then tap down three of their permanents. I, I actually use this to beat an Ulamog. <laughs> so like... That's pretty sick. I, I gotta say, Luminarch Aspirant can't really beat an Ulamog. So uh, I have been enjoying some of these digital-only designs. The Inquisitor Captain, I think it is, the the new Coco is is a cool design too. And uh, I like that they've been bolstering some archetypes that really needed it. They bolstered werewolves. I mean, they made a good one-drop, a good legendary two-drop in Rahilda, which is a, a busted card. In fact, I used uh, werewolves to get my alchemy uh, token. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, had, had a good time with that. But still, a um, little concerned that in the future, more of these problematic changes could leak over in, into Historic and mess with some things that, again, we'd rather just not have messed with. And into some more miscellaneous releases and announcements, we got Universes Beyond, which, did that actually, that hasn't released yet, right? It's just been announced and some of the stuff's been spoiled? Yeah, I, I don't think we've actually had any of them come out yet. Did the did the Fortnite Secret Layer drop yet happen? Uh, I, don't I don't know. know. <laughs> I don't pay attention to Secret Layers unless they have cool spirits that I want to change the art of my modern deck for. That's probably for the best. But yeah, Universes Beyond was just kind of an announcement that said, we're going to be starting to do some things with other IPs, other intellectual properties out there that we want to partner with and maybe hype up, make a set around or a commander deck around or some of this stuff. Uh, oh, it that's made a right. lot of people very <laughs> mad. I actually, so reading Universes Beyond, I was thinking of the unset that is oh. coming out. <laughs> I totally, totally blanked on what Universes Beyond actually was. One of the pieces of Universes Beyond that I'm excited about is the Lord of the Rings set. I am actually oh, excited for absolutely. that and Commander decks, and like they're doing a full set. I mean, that's going to be pretty cool. You'll literally, literally get to draft in Middle Earth. Like that'll be fun. That is one of the most exciting things about. Is that, is that next year? Please tell me that's next year. Yeah, I can't remember, but I think it was coming out beginning of 2023. I think there's a Lord of the Rings secret layer coming out first. It yeah, it's coming out in 2023. All right, we've got some time to wait, but that's genuinely really interesting. We're both Lord of the Rings fans. Uh, I'm excited to see that kind of ported into this game that we already know and love. So <laughs> some some slightly worse news. The MPL and Rivals League going down the drain. Uh, all of the organized play has just pretty much been tossed out the window. Everyone been told, all right, you're going to have to do something else. Will there be new organized play coming around the corner? Hopefully. Uh, I don't know if you saw, but Huey Jensen just got hired by Wizards of the Coast to, yes, to kind of head that. So. I don't know. If there's anyone I trust to to get organized play back in shape, I'm glad Huey Jensen is sacrificing his ability to play in such tournaments to hopefully ensure the longevity of such tournaments. Yeah, I mean, it was a really depressing kind of end of an era for, for Magic. And for a long time, I mean, last few years are the exception, but for a long time, Magic was like 
kind of the epitome of of organized play in terms of card games as far as i know like they had a really yeah. solid like the pro tour circuit thing was a really nice kind of well-oiled machine in terms of how yeah, you could get there was. and all that kind of stuff and then all of a sudden they're like hey we don't know how esports work but we're gonna be one and <laughs> let's do it and then they ruined everything with organized play so also one big thing that is important to mention with huey jensen being involved with organized play is that huey is a major limited player so hopefully mm. we'll see some serious limited tournaments and otherwise cool limited events coming up because for a while there, it seemed pretty iffy as to whether or not they even wanted Limited to be part of higher organized play. Yeah, very true. Hot take, just bring back the Pro Tour. Yeah. <laughs> just bring it yeah, back. Just, let's just, just go just back. Pretend nothing happened in the last, what, three years or so. Just say, whoops, <laughs> Pro Tour is back, you know. Uh, I think a lot of people would have a lot of positive reactions to that. Yeah, it's it's such a weird dichotomy now because they want everything to benefit arena, like they want to promote arena as much as possible, and then the the arena based tournaments have just not been that fun to watch. They haven't been that cool yeah. in terms of like getting to see your favorite players play. I mean, it worked for the the pandemic related stuff, obviously, like that was a kind of a saving grace, yeah. but yeah. it still just wasn't the same as the in person paper pro tours and i'd love to see maybe even a hybrid of that or like you can qualify on arena but then the actual pro tours in person i don't know that would be pretty cool so here's a little blip on the on the yearly calendar magic legends uh it was a game it was around for four months and then it got discontinued right yeah and magic legends was like an arpg an action rpg similar to like diablo 3 and that sort of thing and it was originally supposed to be an mmo but then it got that got cut because mmos are extremely expensive and time consuming to make mm. and then nobody actually really enjoyed legends in the first place and very few people started playing it because it got really bad publicity right after it released and yeah it died really quickly that's probably a record i don't know i just feel like it may have been a mistake from the start like here's here's what i'm thinking happened behind the scenes let's make a game for this demographic demographic of people that all enjoy this other game like that's the their primary thing that they all share. They love this certain card game, and then they made something that wasn't a card game, <laughs> you know, like but tried to incorporate cards because because yeah, it did that. Yeah. It's like weird, yeah. I don't know. I, I just feel like they may have missed the mark pretty heavily on that one. I feel like this wasn't made for many of us, you know. But were the also the people that they're trying to get to play it. This was a mess. I was never really hooked on this one at all. Well, and I'm a, I mean, frankly, I'm a big action RPG fan. The problem was that it was not a good ARPG in the first place. So you get like mm. kind of okay MTG lore in there, but like skinned over a bad game and just nobody wants to play that. And it was really poorly monetized as well. Next up, we actually have to mention a paper release. Uh, earlier, we mentioned all the arena releases that I know pretty much dominate what we all talk about. But uh, we have to mention Modern Horizons 2, aka... Yeah. Uh, every card in modern <laughs> basically these days except from almost my entire deck you just didn't get anything from it that's all <laughs> yeah well you know that's that's fine um i play spirits not monkeys but it was yeah, a fun set um, i mean we did get to draft we we did like a weird set booster sealed with it and that was a lot of fun and i mean the set has a lot going on squirrels we got squirrels so, you know, I don't know how you could how you could be upset with this set. It was actually a very good limited set. A lot of really cool archetypes. Yeah, the Storm deck, uh, the Junk Tokens deck. Just really cool ideas that I'd rather have seen in one of our major set releases that we could play in Arena. Uh, actually, Junkwinder, I saw, is a historic legal, so we might have to do something with that at some point. But yeah, Modern Horizons 2 has come to dominate Modern. It makes up pretty much all of the top 10 played cards in Modern. I saw a, a list recently. I believe the only card in Modern, uh, in the top 10 played cards in Modern that didn't come out in the last like two or three years was Stoneforge Mystic, which is kind of nuts. Everything else is like the Flicker Elementals or uh, these new walkers. It's yeah. Modern has become dominated by Modern Horizons 1 and 2. Is that okay? <laughs> I don't have too many, I don't have too much stake in the modern format. I mean, I just, I'm just completing my Stoneblade deck, my Griefblade deck, which does, of course, rely on the Grief and uh, Solitude and Ephemerate combo. I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, I haven't played enough modern really recently to actually really even understand how healthy the format is or lack thereof, but I play Spirits, so I kind of don't care. I just, 
play my spirits, attack you, stop you from playing cards, and hopefully that's enough. Simple life, but uh, a good one. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, so a couple other things here. I mean, the magic story kind of got better this year. It hit a real slump. Um, maybe that was a year ago. might have been a little bit longer when they started moving toward the novel kind of thing with the end of War of the Spark mm-hmm. and all that. It was just not really a good vibe <laughs> for Magic Story. And now we got back to like the, the regularly released online articles, which are free and very, very well written of the ones that I've read this year. Yeah. Um, so pretty pleased with that. And again, the, the flavor with the sets this year have been pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually just got done reading the Torrens exclusive story, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, it was not at all what I expected to happen. <laughs> uh, it's not at all who you'd think he is. He's more of like a, he's kind of like a cheat and and a, a scoundrel. He's more like the Han Solo type than like a, 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 what he appears to be on his card. I don't know if that's intentional or not, but honestly, I don't care. I thought it was a pretty cool story. Uh, and I, I have up another one in another tab right now that I'm probably going to read afterwards. So uh, overall, I'd say the story has been going in a good direction. And I really liked the first of the Return to Kamigawa ones. Oh, I haven't I hadn't even realized those were out yet. So I'll have to give that a uh, give that a read. One other thing we want to mention this year is the Challenger decks. They're still coming out. Unfortunately, they're a little more focused on paper play, which hasn't seen too much action recently. But I like that they're continuing to support this. It's making uh, these competitive paper decks actually accessible to people. And I think the more accessible competitive decks are, the better things are for the game as a whole. I don't want to see these going away anytime soon. Yeah, and it's also it's also nice because, sure, these challenger decks are not the optimal versions of their whatever format counterparts, right? The actual versions that are tier one or zero or whatever. But that kind of is the point. I mean, most of the mm-hmm. time, especially with older formats like Modern and probably Pioneer as well, though I don't have really any experience with Pioneer, you really need reps with the decks to actually get good with them. They're not... It's not really like standard where, and sometimes standard isn't like this either, but a lot of times in standard, you can kind of just pick up the best deck and it'll be good enough to win. Yeah. In modern, you really need to know your deck and its matchups and what to sideboard in against what and what cards are important in your opponent's decks and how you can deal with them mm-hmm. from your deck. It takes a lot of playing of your deck to get good with it and to, to actually hit results. And so these give you like the core of those decks so you can understand how they play. And if you like them, you can spend the money to build them up to get to that optimal version by the time you get there, you'll probably be a master of the deck, mm-hmm. which I think yeah. is great because it saves you a lot of money. Modern decks are very expensive. Pioneer decks can be very expensive. And uh, last but not least in kind of our miscellaneous category, secret layers. Uh, there yeah, are a lot of them. I, I, don't, <laughs> I know the professor's been keeping track of how many there are. I certainly haven't. I think there were at least 30, right? I have no idea. I believe you. You could have said there were 600 and I'd be like, yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> Yeah, I, I like some of the artist series ones. Um, I like that they're giving the artists those kind of opportunities. I, I think I've only bought one secret layer ever, and it was the Thalia one. And I don't even think that was this year, although to be honest, you could tell me it was, and I believe you. <laughs> so uh, again, not something that's really made for us, something that's getting a little more suspicious the more of them they pump out. Some of them that I've looked at their card list, and it's just, they put stuff like Drag Tusk in there, and just like, like what, what, what exactly... Who, who is this for? You know, is it is it just getting to that crash gravity a point where we're going to look at these and roll our eyes? Or is there ever going to be one where we say, oh, that's actually a good pickup? I think the last one where that was true was the Phyrexian Praetors, which I actually wanted to pick up a copy of, but I think they were sold out. That one was actually a good monetary value to get. Yeah, there was one prior to that, I think, that had like Grim Tutor and a couple of others in that was like actually good value. Um, I've never purchased a secret layer, but I have picked up... The copies of I, I picked up a playset of the Spell Queller from one of the summer drops. Uh, it was one of the artist series ones, but those were all when I picked the those those copies up, they were like three dollars a piece. So mm-hmm. you know, definitely not worth buying you know four copies of the Secret Layer or even the one Secret Layer that gives you four copies. Yeah, definitely not worth all that unless you also needed all the other cards. But yeah, you really have to if you're trying to buy them for value, you really have to be picky about it. Otherwise, just wait until other people buy them and then buy the cards in the secondary market because they're almost always going mm-hmm. down in price. A lot of these that are strictly cosmetic, I think are just totally fine, uh, especially stuff like the the no art basic lands. Like yeah, that's that's really good. Uh, I actually really liked the mischief one. It was some like art kind of hype beast-esque uh, art thing. 
I, I found that from a design perspective, pretty cool. I, I liked the direction they took it. I, mean, I know it's not for everyone, uh, definitely not everyone's style, but I liked that it was really weird. And there was like a, a scratch off or like peel off card as collector items. I think that's pretty cool. Would I ever buy it? No. But it, it, does that make me more hopeful that eventually there will be some kind of weird niche thing that I would want to get from this? Yeah. Which uh, I guess that's something to look forward to. Maybe, uh, I mean, honestly, if they just keep making this many, I'm sure there's eventually bound to be one that I find personally really enjoyable where I can then buy the cards in the secondary market and be glad I saved like 20 bucks. Yeah, I mean, they already started to do that sort of for me. I mean, they released the Secret Lair Zindersplit Ocown EDH deck, which came with like a right. cool like Zindersplit Ocown coin. The heads and tails were like Zindersplit and Ocown respectively. And I have a Zindersplit Ocown deck. It's different than the one they that they released, but that is okay. And I really want to get my hands on that coin. So <laughs> yeah, I'll keep an eye out for it. Yeah, I haven't looked to see what you can get them for on the secondary market, if at all, but uh, I do want to. Re- I really want to get that. And they had some cool alt arts and like f- dual arts. Like they had some cards in that in that deck that were like they didn't have backs. Just they had different art on both sides, and you could yeah, choose whichever yeah. art you wanted to play with and sleeve it up. Really cool. But so it's I hope not we a see DFC. more stuff like that. No, it's not a DFC. I, I hope we see more <laughs> stuff like that in the future, though. That that's pretty cool. And it, and it was also just like you know, it was Gavin Ferry's personal EDH deck. So it's pretty cool to have like some appreciation for the staff of Watsy getting getting recognition that way. All right, that's enough about what actually happened in Magic. We're like an hour into this episode. Let's actually talk about the show. We had a year. I mean, we hit our first anniversary. <laughs> that happened Yeah. in 2021. We really did find our groove in terms of, this is more behind the scenes stuff, I guess, but in, in terms of getting content created, knowing week to week what we're making, there were a few things we attempted and we're still trying to get a process down for it, mostly on the YouTube side of things. But in terms of the core show here, this podcast, we really hit a groove with with producing content or coming up with content and and mapping it out and making sure that we're not having weeks where we're like, hey, we're recording today. What are we talking about? Because <laughs> that happened a lot yeah. in the first year. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think we can at this point say we did it. You know, <laughs> we, we we got this far. I think a lot of podcasts don't get this far and i think we we can be pretty grateful and and appreciative for that yeah i mean we're this is 80 episodes we've done now including this one wow and that's that's crazy yeah that's that's a lot of time a lot of effort and a lot of listens uh from from our listeners who uh let this be the first of many thanks but who we obviously can't thank enough yeah absolutely so let's see what else happened we started writing articles for card sphere got in it kind of involved with them and Super awesome folks at Cardsphere. The the folks behind that site are really cool people. And so we've we've started writing for them. We've been helping them with with card grades for each set. And that's been a cool relationship to kind of continue to build. I think Ben, you, I've I think I've only written one article for them. You've been really just steamrolling it with that. That <laughs> it's kind of become your baby as far as uh you know, that aspect of, of the show. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. Getting to kind of deep dive on some of this stuff. I'm excited in, uh, in the new year to continue my, my analysis of vector theory. Kind of gotten away from it um, and into some of the more specifics of different things. But uh, I want to expand that. And this is kind of getting into our next topic of what we're looking forward to. But uh, I'm looking forward to expanding vector theory and, and making that more of our, our brand. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's something that we also kind of figured out this year was what are we <laughs> in terms yeah. of, of a show because you know we do some spiky content we do our format breakdowns we do things like that but we really just try our best to just capitalize on the goofiness of what we enjoy mm-hmm. with magic and that kind of stuff and we really started to solidify that and that was harder for me than it was for ben because i'm a very like type a person with like you know the competitiveness and wanting things to be quote-unquote proper and in their place and all that kind of stuff so Ben's helped mm-hmm. me loosen up a little bit that way and, and just kind of go with the flow and have some, have some fun with it. Yeah, I think if I could summarize the vibe of our show, I would just say we have fun here, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. And then, you know, of course, we also, along with that, have, I would say, you know, in the Discord, we have about 100 folks right now who are, are there and probably about two dozen that are like actively communicating on a regular basis in the discord. So that's huge. Like we have, we have a, a solid group of people who are in the discord, but then we also have a few hundred that are listening 
week in and week out. And that's crazy. Like Ben and I never thought we'd get even a dozen people listening. I know we've said that before, but we really did find in 2021, we really found a solid listener base that is supporting us and continuing to kind of drive us to keep, keep putting episodes out and doing this outside of the sort of intrinsic reasons that we started the show in the first place. Those are huge motivators because it is a lot of work. And I think if we were just trying to keep to those like intrinsic things, Ben and I could hop on a call every week and just chat about magic for like an hour and then call it, call it a day. (laughs) And that would be it. But there's a lot more that goes into this than that, that I don't think we quite understood when we were like, let's make a podcast. Um, Yeah. So having all of you folks listening and communicating with us and like giving us feedback and just chatting about random stuff in the discord is a huge, huge reason that we're even made it to 80 episodes. Yeah, I do have a little bit of bad news. Uh, I am actually to blame for around 100 of those listens each week. I set a bot (laughs) to just like cycle through and and play it 100 times every week. So uh, I should have turned that off. Uh, I I meant to. Oh, well. Um, (laughs) But actually, yeah, a huge thanks to, to everyone. I think uh, now that we have this kind of base, we have like this Patreon with all of our amazing patrons that we obviously are super grateful for and, and really appreciate. It, sometimes some weeks are definitely harder than others where we're sometimes we're, we're humans, right? So we'll have things going on or it'll be a tough week of work or stuff like that. But uh, I don't know. I think we still both have this excitement that we're we're leveraging and uh, we're not we're not slowing down. We're not stopping anytime soon, but we are hoping to grow to kind of transition into things that we're looking forward to in 2022. We want to bump up these numbers, you know, let's spread the nonsense. Yeah. And we have a few ways that we've talked about potentially trying to do that. A lot of our growth, pretty much all of our growth prior to or post um, MTGA zone partnership has been natural like we don't we don't pay for ads we don't like advertise really i was posting on like reddit with every episode every so often for a while but i haven't done that in months so maybe we need to get back to that there are a few things we have some ideas we have but yeah we really like to see the numbers grow i would love to see our average weekly downloads come up to 500 i would like to see 500 average weekly downloads by this time next year you so think we do it I think we can do it. That's a goal. Um, I would also love, 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 love to hire an editor. Hmm. We did have Alias V editing for us, but we can't really afford to keep her around. <laughs> um, <laughs> She's a know, little above our pay grade. Yeah, maybe we need to just like give Fiverr a shot. That mm. uh, yeah, really scares me, but maybe we should just do that. <laughs> Let's see. What else? The Cube. We would love to keep up with the Cube. We've been... We, we were really bad about keeping up with it, and they were like, all right, we're going to make like half a dozen changes per set and we'll just keep rolling with it and then we took like six months off and now we're back to needing to make a big overhaul (laughs) change again i just don't think making a few small changes a set is like sustainable at this point i think we may have overestimated our our capabilities on that one uh i think i almost prefer these big updates and i think the next big update is going to be a big update you know yeah yeah it is Uh, the tough part is we don't actually have the opportunity to play the cube that often. So we're making changes to it without ever really play testing it, which feels mm-hmm. weird. Uh, maybe we should try to find, I know there's a, com- a, a discord community that's like all about cube. We could probably just throw the link on there and get a ton of, ton of uh, data points yeah. from people. Should probably give that a shot um, so we can get more information on it because we did get a, a round of info and like feedback on the first iteration of it, but we've overhauled it quite a bit since then. And so it's pretty much a different cube at this point. All I'm going to say is if they tell me to cut Falcon Wrath Aristograd again, their opinion just doesn't matter to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, noted. <laughs> uh, I think it'd be cool to get some more streaming in 2022 uh, from both of us, you know. Uh, I, I might try to stream this Arena Cube event, uh, the whole decathlon thing, depending on how much time I've got. I think it's right around when school's starting back up, though. So we'll see how much time I, I have. And... I don't know. What do you think? In streaming? Yeah, I would really like to get back to that. I was doing it. I don't know if regularly is fair to say, but I was doing it every so often. The problem is I hit this like weird bump with time, um, especially given, you know, I'm married. So I've got I've got to split my time with the wife and make sure that I'm I'm still like keeping up with that kind of stuff, as well as I've been working this year on like trying to build a personal brand for various career related stuff. So kind of splitting my time between doing that and building content for that and then also trying to do extra stuff for the show has been difficult. I would love to get back to streaming video games and other such things in the future. It's not been a top priority for me, but obviously streaming with you has been is always a blast. So, you know, yeah, if we could try to make that more regular, that'd be a lot of fun. Totally. 
One other big thing that I'm looking forward to in 2022, more solid limited sets. We got a lot of them this year. A lot of fun play experiences, a lot of great stuff in the Discord. People posting screenshots of good trophy decks and things like that. And that is not slowing down anytime soon. For those listeners that are not active or or in the Discord yet, top in. Friendly place. No no one bites. Actually, uh, one person bites, but we're not going to say who. It's Ben. (laughs) (laughs) We're not going to say who. (laughs) oh sorry yeah i'll cut that for sure yeah yeah okay good and uh last but not least uh we're gonna continue to do exactly what we like to do (laughs) which i think we've been very good at doing so far i don't know there's there's examples of content creators out there not just in magic but in everything that once they start picking up some traction they, they 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 fold a little bit you know or they cave to the whims of the algorithm or or anything like that. Uh, I mean, it was Marshall that told us in the first place, just keep making what you want to make. And if people sense that you're genuine and having fun, you know, they'll come hang out while you do it. And I think we've kind of hit that on the head. Yeah. You know, one thing I was thinking that we could kind of do, especially if we want to try to get more streaming stuff, we could do a lot of like wacky stipulation drafts on stream. And that's like kind of right up our alley, which we haven't really done before in terms of like, creating content around so we could do stuff like that could be fun topic ideas as well maybe to to try to theory craft some stipulation drafts so why haven't we done that before i don't know uh because i'm only a genius sometimes and it just came to me (laughs) 100 percent genius 20 percent of the time exactly exactly (laughs) that averages out to be a good amount of genius so that that, that's a good idea i like it we'll have to do some stipulations uh i'm thinking um only take red and green cards in midnight hunt what do you think i'm thinking (laughs) only take blue cards in every draft you do for the rest of your life So uh, I'm I'm pleased to announce that we're in the running for a new co-host in 2022. <laughs> but, but again, I'm not going to say which. Yeah, but overall, uh, I mean, 2021 was a really solid year. We we've we've really come a long way. I think, especially in terms of just production value and such in the show, and that kind of happened naturally, which is great. Like it doesn't feel like it's you know like we've been trying very hard to get better, but I'm I'm sure hopefully we have in some capacity. Um, so yeah, that's that's great. I'm really looking forward to to where we are by this time next year and and what we're looking back on and reminiscing about in 2022. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my New Year's resolution is actually to get worse. Uh, most people are out there saying they want to get better. Uh, I would like to make the show worse in 2022, but worse in the best possible ways. <laughs> that is the draft halfway, I suppose. Uh huh. It is. Well, that does it for us this week and well this year. Thanks for sticking around with us for all of you who have been through the whole year with us and for all you newcomers, welcome. And we're excited to have you along for the next year. So definitely stop by the discord. I know we've said it a bunch this episode, but really it's, it's an amazing community there. And a lot of times don't know what I do without it. (laughs) It's a lot of, a lot of, uh, just great folks to come and chat with even about non-magic related things. And, um, really you're missing out if you're not there. So check that out. The link to that's in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And if you want to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. Hopefully re-kickstarting the Draft Doctor series there. I hit a bunch of personal stuff that is taking up all my time, which is why those have not been released this set. But we're getting back to it, I promise. So check that out if you're into that and any of the other perks over there. Uh, Patreon makes it really easy to kind of give what you are able to give and it's really no commitment so if you need to cancel you can cancel it's not a big deal if you want to reach out to us outside of the discord you can do so by finding us on twitter you can find me at zach e hackett you can find ben at betafish1 and you can find the show directly at draftchaffpod that does it for us folks enjoy your new years and uh we'll see you in 2022 see you next year so for the last sign off of the year, I thought we'd talk about something of the utmost importance, something that everyone has been been begging for us to chat about for for a long time. Do you see the new Spider Man yet? I haven't. All right, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I got. 